Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, if you need a Bible, just um, lift up your hand and we'll get one over to you right now. To either borrow or to have if you don't own a Bible. Words will also be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start on, at verse 25 and read on down through the end of the chapter. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's not writing his opinion. This is a word from God to the church at Ephesus and a word from God to Harbins. Word of God says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear this word this morning, and to believe it and to embrace it, Father. And help us to not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. Let the word transform us this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The sermon today is just basically the continuation of last week's sermon. Um, this text is just follows right out of last week's text and flows right out of it. And it's the, it's, I've called this one Dress Differently, Part 2. Paul gets more specific here with what we talked about last week. So I want to remind us a little bit of what we uh, were talking about last week. If you remember in verse 22, Paul gets kind of to the the heart of the matter and tells us to put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of our life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul uses the metaphor of clothing that we are to put off the old self like we would put off an old uh, pair of clothes. And last week, if you'll recall, I had an old pair of clothes sitting up here. I'm going to leave them in the bag this week. But an old pair of clothes that, just for illustration purposes, um, served to demonstrate the old self that we were to put off. And I compared it to the uh, a homeless person would be taken into a shelter and have to have his lice-ridden clothes taken off and, and burned and, and put away. And then, of course, um, last week, I was wearing a suit. Uh, so for those of you who missed that, you missed it. Sorry. That may be the only time you're going to get to see that. I don't know. But I brought it with me this morning because I was wearing a suit just to, to um, illustrate the idea of the new self, putting on the new self, the new clothes that God calls us to put on. And the key to that is verse 23, being renewed in the spirit of our minds, that there is active work that we are to do as Christians, seeking God, serving God, being renewed through his word, but ultimately it's God work at work in us. Matter of fact, we can't put on the new self. That's an act of God's grace that happens to us, and we can't put off the old self. God has to make that happen. But we are called, and Paul calls us in this text, to be very practical with our life and to be living in such a way that shows that we are people who have had a new, a new nature put upon us, and we are a people who have put off the old nature. Our Our putting on and our putting off is simply the evidence that we truly are in Christ, or that we truly learned Christ, according to verse 20 of this passage. 
that we have learned Christ, that we are in Him, that we belong to Him. Therefore, we are on a, on a pathway, we should be on a pathway towards righteousness and away from the filth of the world. And so we get to this section of Scripture here, and now Paul gets very specific. So it would be kind of like taking the illustration from last week and, and getting real specific. we got different pieces, different items of clothing here that, uh, that we need to put on in order to wear this suit. So Paul's going to get real specific here and give us five different things that he wants us to be putting off, to be putting away. So you see in verse 25, there, he says, Therefore, having put away... Therefore, based upon everything he's just said, having put away falsehood. Now that word for put away is the exact same verb that he used earlier in verse 22 when he says, put off your old self. So now he's just getting more specific. Here are the things he wants us to be putting off. These are a list of things that should be changing in a Christian's life. A list of vices that should be being put off and a list of virtues that should be being put on. Paul chooses this list. It's interesting here. As I was looking at it, I was wondering, why did, why did he just choose these five specific things? Because there's so many vices that we are called to put off, and there's so many virtues that we could be putting on. And I think the reason is, is because Paul, remember, the context here is he's writing to a church and he's been talking to them about unity. And he's been talking to them about love. And I think that these specific things that he lists may be issues that are specifically dangerous to the church body as a whole if we don't put them off. If we don't put these things off, it can be very dangerous to the church as a whole. Certainly, these things that Paul mentions here in this text are things that are, are principles for all of our life. For, for Christian ethics in all arenas, but specifically these things can kill relationships and kill churches. Wholeness, oneness, isn't just some sort of lofty ideal that Paul wants the church to aspire to and nothing else. It's something we are to work hard at. It's something we are to be um, involved in making sure it happens. There's nitty-gritty, specific, deliberate, practical efforts that we are to take on our behalf to kill sin and to generate or to put on what um, God has called us to put on. So I'm just going to go, this, this text is very straightforward. Um, it's one of those texts when you look at it, you think, how do you really preach this? Because there's, I can't add really much to what's written here, you know. Uh, I, there's not, not too much insight you can really gain from th- this text, but as you get to thinking about it more, you really do can get into it deeper. But it's very, very, very straightforward. So number one, I got the five things. We're going to list them out. They're there in your notes. The five things that Paul is telling us to put off and to put on. Okay, the five things he's telling us to put off and put on. Let me put the first one up here. Put off. Oh, there we go. That was it. Go to the slide you were just on. Put off the filthy rags of dishonesty and put on truthfulness. Put off the filthy rags of dishonesty and put on truthfulness. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we we are members one of another. How important is honesty to God? How seriously does God take honesty? Well, the Bible speaks a whole lot about honesty. For example, you can go to Proverbs and find verse after verse after verse that deals with honesty and being an honest man. Like this one. Proverbs 6.16 lists honesty along with some other sins that God hates. It says this, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make Haste to run to evil. And 19, a false witness who breathes out lies. So he actually deals with dishonesty twice in that text. And that verse 19 goes on to say, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among the brothers. That's part of the reason I think that Paul here, he's dealing with specific vices that bring problems and division and and destruction to a church, and not just to a church, but to any relationship. Of course, God lays out his abhorrence to 
dishonesty in the Ten Commandments, and, and he does so in many, many other texts, like Zechariah 8.16, which is what Paul quotes here when he says, speak truth with your neighbor. But I think the most damning text when it comes to lying is Revelation 21, verses 5 and following. I want you to listen to this. God, I think we have a tendency, here's why I want you to listen to this. I think we have a tendency to make lying a little thing. Lying's not that big. It's not that big a deal. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal to God. Revelation 21, 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But, verse 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Lying is no little issue. There is no little sin. But lying goes against the very nature of who God is because God is truth. And to attack truth is to rebel against God. Lying is an issue for which your eternity is at stake. Liars go to hell. It's that simple. Those who make a practice of lying go to hell. According to Revelation 21. And so, the believer, if he is truly a believer, is to be a person who does not lie. Who puts that stuff away. And instead has a life that's patterned by truth. Of course, every Christian... Every person who has learned Christ, even those who, well, we're all supposed to be being transformed, putting off the old and putting on the new. We all fail and stumble and slip into lies. But the question is, what's the pattern of our life? Am I known as a truthful person or am I known as someone you just can't trust? It's dishonest. That's the question. And your eternity is at stake. Because the Bible makes it very clear. Those who are truly in Christ have a pattern of truthfulness. They're putting on honesty. Those who don't, those who do not know Christ, those who have not learned Christ, continue to sin in that way as a pattern of their life over and over and over again. Christians, yes, we fall into failures involving dishonesty. But what is the pattern of of our life is the pattern of our life dishonesty it shouldn't be are we on as i've mentioned several times a trajectory towards holiness where lying becomes less and less and less of who we are or those little dishonest things we did before do they bother us more and more and more now if dishonesty lies manipulation hedging the truth Deceit, trickery, conning, little white lies. If these things are a pattern of our life every day and what we do, and if we're known by them, then we are not demonstrating Christ. We are not imaging our Father. Instead, we are imaging Satan and proving, according to the Scriptures, that He is our Father and not God. Jesus said in John eight forty two, as He's speaking to the Pharisees, He said, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I came from God, and I, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of the father, of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe in me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And you remember the Pharisees. They were always manipulating and trying to work things their way. When Jesus would even ask them a straightforward question like, okay, how about the baptism of John? Was that from God or from man? 
What was their response? They weren't even honest about that. They didn't believe it was from God. They obviously believed it was from man. But they gathered together and they huddled together and they had to talk about it. You remember the story? They said, if we say it's from man, well, people are going to be mad at us. Sorry, put my hand here. If we say it's from God, they're going to say, well, why didn't you, why didn't you believe in it? Why do you condemn it? And so their thought is only about what people think of them instead of what the truth is. And that's, that's who they were. That was just their nature. They were politicians. They were spin masters. If you are in Christ, then as you partake today of this bread and of this cup, you are reminded that the blood was spilt for you, and it was spilt for your dishonesty as well as every other sin you've ever committed. And that he is at work in you, creating a person of truthfulness. Falsehood is incompatible with our new natures as Christians. And falsehood is more than just telling little lies. Before you begin to think too much of yourself, or before I begin to think too much of myself, and think, well, I'm not a liar. Let's think about what falsehood involves. It could involve exaggeration. Taking stories and just adding a little bit of oomph to them. Why? So that people will like our stories better. Or think more of us. Exaggeration. Boasting. Making promises you don't intend to keep. Or making promises that you couldn't even keep. Rash oaths. Saying what you think someone wants you to hear. That's not honesty. Saying one thing to one person and saying one thing to the next person is dishonesty. It's Revelation 21, lying. Flattery. Flattery. Trying to impress others by being who you're not. Betraying a confidence. Someone shares something with you in confidence and you betray that. Making excuses. Goodness gracious, don't we do that all the time? You forgot a meeting. You should have been at the meeting. You have no excuse. And so when the person calls you and says, hey, why weren't you meeting? Oh, oh man, traffic. Oh, it was horrible. What? Immediately what floods into our mind isn't honesty. It's the old sin that says, defend yourself. Don't let them think less of you. It's not your fault really anyway. Dishonesty. Spin. And I'll be honest with you. (laughs) Not that I would be dishonest with you, hopefully. This steps on toes, and my toes are bruised like crazy as I stand in the pulpit this morning. Because I'm a people pleaser, if you haven't figured that out. And I had a brother challenge me recently and said, Steve, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's honesty. That's Christ-likeness. And, uh, man, if you're like me, you look at this old clothes and you realize, man, I'm still wearing them in so many ways. Oh, they stink. But how our nostrils get used to the smell. Have you ever had some sort of smell in your house or something in a trash can? And you're all just living there and you don't even realize it smells. And someone new walks in your house and goes, oh, whoa, what's that smell? I don't smell nothing. We get so used to not actively working at putting these things off. that we forget how horrible lying smells to our Lord. It's a horrible smell. Lying flows out of our old man. Our corrupt, sinful nature rooted in deceit. The true believer is seeing that that being put off every day. He can't stand it as he struggles with lying, as he struggles with letting his yes be yes and his no be no. He struggles with it because he hates it. If you're not a Christian, you don't hate it. It's just part of who you are. You become good at it. But if you are a believer, you hate it and you desire to see these things put on. 
Why? Why are we to pursue honesty and truth and not to be spin masters? It says, for we are members one of another. One of the most terrible things that happens to the church is that we all become spin masters in the body of Christ. And instead of being speaking the truth in love, as we've already been challenged to do in Ephesians 4, I believe it was verse uh, maybe 14 or 15, to speak the truth in love. And instead, we, we're dishonest with one another. We're not truthful. When a body isn't honest with itself, it gets hurt. Okay? Um, I shared with you guys last week that, you know, my arm was numb and I didn't realize it was there and it came flopping down beside me. Okay? My arm wasn't being honest with the rest of my body. It wasn't telling us it was there. Okay, now it wasn't its fault. It had medicines or whatever that was, anesthesia was done to it. But imagine this. If, if you're picking up a fork and you're wanting to eat with that fork and your eye doesn't tell your hand exactly where the mouth is and you swing up and hit yourself in the forehead with the fork, you're doing damage to your body. That's, that's, we are members one of another. And if we're not being honest with one another and truthful, then it does damage to the body. How are we to love on one another when we can't be transparent and truthful? We should be known as a community of honesty, reliability, transparency. Falsehood kills fellowship. Now, after I do each one of these and, and go through each one of these different putting off and putting on, I want to I just mention a couple of verses because remember last week I said the key is that renewing of the mind so if we're struggling with dishonesty let's renew our mind let's give ourselves some bible to strengthen us in order to renew our mind so if we're struggling with falsehood this morning how about the verse I just mentioned Matthew 5 37 Jesus said let what you say be simply yes or no anything more than this comes from evil or 1 Corinthians 3, 6, the great chapter on love, says that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Ah, here's the passage I mentioned earlier. Ephesians 4, 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Truthfulness, honesty grows us up as a body. So that's the first putting off and putting on. Let's go to our second one now. Put off the filthy rags of unrighteous rage and put on righteous indignation. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I chose the words here as I put it on the screen, rage and righteous indignation, because I, I chose those carefully because there's, there's a few different words in the Greek to describe anger. Now the word used here for anger um, Paul's referring to a word that is not necessarily wrath and boiling over type of anger or out of control type of anger. Uh, there's other words in the Greek that are used for that. This word for anger here in verse 26 where it says be angry and do not sin. This word for anger usually refers to um, a deep-seated or determined conviction. Uh, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad depending on our motives and depending on whether or not we exercise self-control. Christians are allowed to get angry. If someone says, hey, you should never get angry, it's wrong. It says here, be angry. Be angry, but sin not. So Christians are allowed to get angry. Anger is a God-given emotional reaction that can be used for good. Anger towards ungodliness and sin is not bad. Evil should arouse our anger. Anger towards sin keeps us from compromising with it. So we, we are to be angry. But Paul is also very aware of our weaknesses. He knows that anger out of control quickly slips from godly anger into ungodly, unrighteous anger. Be careful when you try to just follow. I, I've heard people say before, yeah, you know, be angry and do not sin. And then they'll, 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 they'll quote the passage of Scripture where Jesus clears out the temple, which, which is great. Jesus is angry in that text. Several times Jesus gets angry. He's angry at the Pharisees. He comes to the temple and he clears out the temple and he's angry. 
But I'm not so sure we're supposed to be following Jesus' example because here's the deal. Jesus had perfect control of his emotions. I don't think that we can have that type of, going to pick up a whip and start going to town on people. We've got to be careful. Okay? We've got to have our anger, our emotions under control. Paul knows our weaknesses. He, he wanted us to be in control. It's kind of like disciplining a child. It's easy to get angry when your child does something that's wrong. And a part of you should get angry if it's not something just um, silly, but if it's something that really could harm them or harm someone else, or there's something that's, that's clearly a sinful um, action and not just something, some foolish childish behavior, but we might get angry at it. But here's the deal. That anger has to be in control. Because if you then lose control, well, then you cross into sin real quickly. Angry is okay. Anger out of control is sin. The old man was adept. The old sinful nature was very adept at out of control anger, anger that leads to sin. But the new man, man is to put that type of anger off, that unrighteous anger that leads to rage. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, that every person, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Meekness is power under control. Paul is very practical here. He gives us instructions to help us stay in control. We must not let anger smolder. It is smoldering anger that usually breaks out into a wildfire of sin. So he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it, in other words. Anger can't be left undealt with. If it does, it will burst into a sinful blaze. It has to be dealt with quickly. Don't let the sin go sun go down on your anger. While there's still time, deal with it. Righteous or unrighteous anger, by the way. So if you have some righteous indignation about something, and even if you've kept control of it, you need to deal with it. I'm not sure Paul's here. He's just giving us a picture that we need to deal with sin quickly. Okay, If you're angry at your brother, and you know what? Your brother, if he's out of state and you can't call him or whatever, and don't feel bad that the sun went down that day. But the point is this. Go deal with it quickly. Don't let it sit there and smolder. Even if it's righteous indignation over something that has happened. And how much more, if it's unrighteous anger, are we to deal with our anger before the sun goes down? Even if it's unrighteous, even if it's righteous indignation about, I don't know, some event, 9-11. How many of you were mad that day? You were mad. What, there is no justifying in any sort of way what those terrorists did. And, and therefore you were angry at that wickedness that you saw being played over and over and over again for months on end. So how do you deal with that? You can't call Bin Laden up, especially now, and say, hey, listen, dude, I am mad at you. You turn it over to God, the judge who judges righteously. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. How do you deal with, un, with righteous indignation about the sin of this world? You turn it over to God and say, God, I believe that you are who you say you are, and you are going to judge this world. And so grant, grant me the grace to live in this world, but not to be of it, and to minister to people in this world with love. Grant me the grace to do it, Lord. Deal with that anger. Don't let it smolder. Ask your kids, ask your spouses, ask your friends, is there anything you're angry with me about? We, I used to do this more. I've kind of let it slide, to be honest with you. But for a while there, I would ask Noah or Olivia, is there anything you're angry about? With, you're upset with mommy and daddy or anything else before you go to bed tonight? And sometimes there was, and we would deal with those things. 
Why do we need to deal with them? Because if we don't, it gives an opportunity to the devil, according to this passage. Satan loves unresolved anger. Oh, man. It's his playground. It's an opportunity for him. Satan loves to breed division. And unresolved anger in our hearts, be it righteous or unrighteous, can be used by Satan to bring us down. The word opportunity here. Now, you may have a translation that says foothold. That's how I always learned that verse. Don't give Satan a foothold. Okay? The word literally means a place or a region or a parcel of land. It's a warfare term. Okay? When, when the enemy would take a piece of land, they would be given over. If, if you retreated and you gave your enemy, when you pull back, Noah and I watched the last, we watched some of the Lord of the Rings and we watched some of the, the last one together last night, but he watched most of it by himself last night. But there's, there's times in there when the, when, the, when the army would pull back, pull back, and they would just give that land to the enemy. And that's the picture here. When we don't deal with our anger, we are surrendering a portion of our heart over to Satan. We are giving him ground. For an unbeliever... It's not surprising. It happens all the time. But for one who's been made new, we are not to be angry people. Satan should have no ground to work with. And there's lots of signs that can show us that we've given ground to the enemy. For example, when we go from listening to others to being short with others. That's a sign that we've given some ground to the enemy. When we go from defending God's truth to being self-defensive. In other words... If we see sin in the world and we see things going on that bother us, is it because it bothers us because it's the holiness of God that's being offended here? Or, you know what? Those people just don't like Christians, and I, I'm offended. It hurts my feelings that they don't like what I like. Is it, is it, is it defending God's truth, or is it being self-defenses? Is it, is it anger directed at sin or anger directed at people? Do we, do we go from a concern for others to a resentfulness toward others. From selfishness, from, from selflessness and service to selfishness and self-pity. If we see these things happening, from seeking God's glory to seeking our own vindication, from serving the judge of all mankind to becoming our own judge of all mankind. And in case you don't think that this is as serious as lying... Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Angry people go to hell too. Liars go to hell. Angry people go to hell. In other words, if we don't see a trajectory towards godliness and all we are is angry, we have some soul searching to do. So let's renew our minds. Romans 12, Romans 12, 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this applies in all arenas of life. I believe that, um, if I remember correctly, some advice my wife got from a, from a friend of hers when she was a child and she was struggling with, with rebellion and different things and didn't get along, get, get along with her parents and things, that this person told her, say, you know what, just start being polite, saying yes, ma'am, and just obeying first time. And it, that same principle works when we're, we're in a conflict with someone. You know what? We can get into the arguments and we can get into the anger or we can do what God says for us to do here. If, if, if our enemy or if the person we're arguing with or the person we can't get along with, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In other words, be kind. Replace that anger 
that unrighteous anger with kindness. Proverbs 15, 8 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The next thing Paul tells us to put off is this. Put off the filthy rags of deceitful gain and put on generosity, enabling hard work. Let the thief no longer steal, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Again, let us lay out how serious stealing is. It's a matter of heaven or hell. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Nor thieves nor the greedy, is listed there amongst all those other sins that we consider pretty big. Have you ever considered greed in the same list with that? With those other issues? Sexual immorality? Idolatry? Adultery? This is serious. Those who practice such things, those who practice such things cannot expect heaven. The good news, though, according to verse 11 of that same passage, it says, As such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You cannot go on living that way. It's no surprise that we were that way. The point is, according to verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, is that we've been washed now. We are being sanctified now. We are on a new trajectory. The Christian, the recreated new man is washed and sanctified and has already been justified before God in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a done deal. Notice that verse 11 that all those terms, washed, sanctified, justified, are in the past tense. So the pattern of our lives should be one of putting off the old stealing, putting on new hard work and generosity. Now before you claim that you're not a thief, I'm not a thief, Before you claim and raise your hand and say, I'm not a thief, let's think about that a little bit too. Perhaps you never shoplifted, you never served time for stealing. Perhaps you've done some of this though. Perhaps you failed to report exactly to the teetotal truth your income to the IRS. There was that other income for which there was no paperwork. Failed to give back money when improper change, perhaps, was given to you. Or maybe there was some internal overestimating of the mileage on an expense report. Maybe you reported more hours than you worked or what really happened. Maybe you failed to pay a late fee. Have you ever done this? Are you guilty as I am? You have a check, you have a bill that's due, you, you put it where your due bills are, you forget to look at it, it gets overdue, and you're all, oh, I'm like two days late, and you pull out the checkbook, and you see what the late fee is there, and you decide to date your check to before when it was due, and then stick it in the mailbox, and just hope, oh yeah, I sent that check, I sent, I really sent that three days ago. Stealing. You broke a rule for which you were in a contract to pay a fine for, and you're not paying it. Going back on a debt you owed. Maybe you took some office supplies home. Nothing big, just a sticky note, pad, and a pen. Maybe you lazily depend upon others. Or maybe you kept that cable running, even after you canceled the cable, and it kept running for four months. Can you believe that? I still got cable. That I'm not paying for. If you're an employer, maybe not paying fair wages, we can think of a lot more, more and more and more. The point is the temptation to steal is real and it's ever present for me and for you all day. Don't think that we're just talking about someone with a mask on with little holes in the eyes who's going around at night breaking into homes. This is talking about how we deal with our everyday life and our money. The temptation to steal is real. 
What is a Christian's life to be marked by? Hard work and generosity. Let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. His own hands. Don't lazily expect others to do the work for you. Now, let's get the background here a little bit of what, was, what the early church was like. You remember uh, Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4 where you get this description of how they would, people would bring their money and they would share their money together. Well, there were always, always people in need within the church, and, and so they would pool their resources to take care of those in need. Well, in a lot of cases, as the church became persecuted, the church would gather together, and they, the people would lose their jobs and everything, and, and they had to rely on one another to take care of one another. And what was happening in some of the churches was that there, there were those who became lazy, idle, and just sat around and did nothing. While others were out there working, doing hard work to try to help support not only themselves, but others in the church. Yet there were some that were just freeloading. And that's stealing. And we can take it and we can apply it to a a lot of other things today. Because the church still, we pool our resources. Okay, we buy things for the church. We we, we have to pay salaries. We we pay utilities. We do things together. And, And the question is, am I here just enjoying the generosity of others? So that I can enjoy the air conditioning? Or am I contributing to the best of my ability and above and beyond that God might be glorified in my giving? If we're not, then we are stealing. Work, hard work is good. But work is not aimed at just getting. Just, I want to get stuff. You don't work to have to have. You work to have stuff so that you can give. It says so that we may have something to share with anyone in need. That is not how we're normally taught, is it? Son, grow up, get a job, make a name for yourself, provide for yourself. But how many of our fathers taught us, son, get a job, make money so that you can give it away? Faith drives us to be content with what we have. And faith leads us to a love-driven discontentment when we see others in need and we see those needs unmet. First John talks about this, as do other passages. We can't just ignore our brothers in need. Acts twenty thirty five. Paul says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What's the word blessed mean? For those of you who are familiar with the Beatitudes, and we did a series on the Beatitudes a few years ago, it means happy. So let's read that again. It is more happy, joyful to give than to receive. Do we really believe that? Let's get honest here. Is it a lot more fun and joy-filling to give our stuff away? It should be, according to Jesus' words, but we all struggle because we have some of this stuff still on us. We should be working hard so we have stuff to give. Proverbs 21, 26 says, All day long, he's talking about an unwicked per, a wicked person. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Renew our minds. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Hebrews 13, 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Why? What's the root of us not um, loving money and being content with what we have? It's the truth that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. In other words, I have something. I have Jesus. He's never going to leave me. It's much more important than money. So we continue on the fourth thing. We are to put off the filthy rags of damaging words and put on words that edify. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The renewed heart, a heart that's been made new in Christ, should not be spewing out slander and destructive, dishonoring speech. Dishonoring speech is, according to Jesus, viper speech, satanic speech at its core. It too, therefore, is deserving of hell. You know, if you go up to someone and talk to them, and how do you know if someone's been eating Italian food? And if you don't see the spaghetti on your shirt, you smell it on there. What? Because Italian food with the garlic and all that's one of those things you just, whoo, okay. Whoo. I can tell you went to Olive Garden or wherever else. I say that because this, what comes out of our mouths, and the word here that Paul uses for corrupting talk, This word corrupting refers to foul or spoiled fruit, rotten food. Unwholesome talk is like rotten stench coming out of our mouth. Off-color jokes, dirty stories, profanity, innuendo, or trivializing things like hell or damnation and using them in curse words. Using the Lord's name in vain, trivializing who God is. James 3.8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's viper. But we know that Paul is not limiting unwholesome talk to bad words, jokes, or suggestive speech. He also has in mind relationship-damaging, Christ-ignoring, church-killing, biting, and devouring of one another with our words. The type of speech Paul expects true believers to be putting on is only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our speech should be edifying. It's supposed to build, but so easily can it shift into the type of speech that tears down. Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be gracious, always, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And Jesus, mo- Jesus modeled this for us in Luke chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 22, as he's, he's teaching in the synagogue in, in Nazareth. It says they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. On your part, however it, de- however it depends upon you, you be at peace. You speak gracious words. Now, it doesn't mean your gracious words are always going to have gracious words in return because what did the people of his hometown then try to do to him after he spoke these gracious words? They tried to kill him. But as for us, we must bridle the tongue so that we will not deceive our hearts, according to James 1.22. A person who deceives his heart and doesn't bridle his tongue has, according to James, worthless religion. Unwholesome talk is particularly devastating in Paul's mind because he adds something here. Verse 30. Because this is connected to the unwholesome talk. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does this mean? Well, a Christian is a person in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And that this Spirit of God has sealed the believer for the day of redemption. Paul spoke more about this in in Ephesians 1 verses 13 through 14. So the Spirit of God has put a stamp on us. God has, we are to be imaging God. The life of the believer is guaranteed to persevere until the day of redemption. The seal of the, of the Spirit is our assurance and our hope. Our hope is in God. But the language that comes out of our heart that doesn't hope in God, language that instead is, is, is trying to justify itself, or express itself to others, or express its anger, is not language that hopes in God. It does not impart grace to those who hear. How can you make your mouth a means of grace for others when you don't hope in the grace of God for yourself? In other words, if you have forgotten that you've been sealed and that you have a hope, you will speak hopeless language, hopeless hearts filled with discouragement and frustration and anger and bitterness and resentment. And all other sorts of rotten, hurtful language. But if we stop and think for a moment that Christ has died for our sins, that God has promised to work all things together for our good, that He's given us His Holy Spirit for the specific purpose of sealing us for that day of redemption, then surely a deep and confident hope and joy will come out of us 
It will strengthen us to endure even when we've been mistreated. When does our language usually come out? It's when we've been mistreated. But when our hope is in God, good fruit, wholesome fruit comes forth out of our lives. The question for us in our mouths is not merely a moral question. Am I avoiding dirty words? The Christian question is this. Am I building faith in others by what I say? Am I, is my mouth being a means of grace to others? Or am I frightened and anxious about my life? Am I filled with an overflowing, or am I filled with an overflowing hope that the Spirit of God will keep me until that day of redemption? Let's renew our minds. Psalm 141.3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. 1 Peter 3.10, For whoever desires the, to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And of course, in our day and age, that goes beyond just our mouths. Because we communicate in words in a thousand other ways, be it emails or Facebook or whatever it might be, we should be praying that God would set a guard, a door over our lips. How many times does Paul have to tell the church things like this? Over and over again so we will not forget. And finally, the last one, bringing it to a close here. Put off the filthy rags of devouring attitudes and put on brotherly love. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as, Christ is, as God in Christ forgave you. The old clothes are filled with bitterness and anger and resentment, but the new ones are not. How many of us today in the church are going around wearing the old clothes because we're simply prideful, arrogant, and bitter, and we don't want to hear God and to put them off? These clothes are killing churches across America. People would rather be bitter towards brothers than to seek reconciliation. Why? Because we love the old clothes too much. And we're not putting the new ones on. We're not wearing the new ones that have already been put on by the grace of God if we truly are Christians. It says here we're to put it all away. All bitterness and wrath. Okay, all malice. Not just some of it. All of it. We are to be kind to one another and it's not just external kindness. It says here that our hearts are to be tender. We're to be tender-hearted. There's a way you can be kind. Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, it's so good to see you. And your heart be lashing out with the most vile anger and bitterness toward that person. That brings us all the way back to lying, doesn't it? And we're not just meant... And we're not to just mean it from the heart. It should be genuine forgiveness that flows out of us. As Christ forgave us, it very well may be undeserved. The forgiveness you offer to your brother or sister may very well be undeserved. How many of you deserved yours? It very well may involve much sacrifice on your part and self-denial. How much sacrifice and self-denial did your forgiveness require? It may mean that, it should mean that it reckons all accounts settled. Forgiveness that doesn't say, hey, my account with you is settled is not true forgiveness. It should mean that it reckons all accounts settled. There's no grudges. Because your account with God has been settled if you truly are a Christian. It is aimed at God's glory and your holiness. So let's conclude with this last passage of Scripture I want to re read as we renew our minds. And let's pray for God to enable us to be Christians who wear these new clothes that have been purchased for us and that put off these old clothes that are disgusting, vile, and worthy of hell. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is in Galatians, by the way, starting in verse 14. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Do you all know Him? If you do, say Him with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Have crucified the flesh and its desires and passions. With its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Remember, this is not a morality challenge. It can only happen through the gospel. These things can only happen if Christ has done a transforming work in your heart. Paul drives that point home here in these last verses. Let me go back and just look at verse 21 one more time and then we'll close. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This verb is a passive verb, meaning it is done to us, in us. The instrument of kindness is not simply us. We must work, but God is at work in us through His Spirit because we have believed in His Son. That's our only hope for new clothes. Otherwise, we'll just keep on wearing these things. And no matter how hard you try to follow a moral code, those smelly, stinky clothes will still continue to be draped all across our bodies. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come now and um, Lord, we acknowledge that even in the sermon today, we haven't even gone even close to the depths of what lying and stealing and anger and all these things really are. So we need your Spirit to take us through your Word and to dig deeper and deeper and deeper because I guarantee you there are things that I don't consider to be lying and things I don't consider to be stealing that really are. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you would do heart surgery on us. Just go as deep as you want to go with your word. Take that word, that double-edged sword, and plunge it as far as you want to plunge it to deal with these things because we do not want to be walking around with lice-infested clothes that are worthy of hell. Instead, we want to be walking around in newness, recreated to wear new clothes that bring glory to you. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive me of my sin. We're all sinners. Every day we're attracted to these clothes over here. Every day. Oh, Lord, we just hope for your sanctifying work that it would continue to be done. And it is that great hope that we have been sealed <laughs> that gives us confidence. If we didn't have verses like that, Jesus, I don't know how we'd go on. But we have verses like that. So we know if we're truly in Christ, these clothes are being put on. But we got work to do. We got a battle to fight. We got some sin to kill. And we pray, Lord, right now that you grant us the grace to do it. So we lift up these prayers to you. We remember today what you've done for us. We remember the blood. We remember the body broken. And we beg you, Jesus, save us from ourselves. We're such sinners. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Please stand if you would as we sing one song, Jesus Paid It All. Jesus Paid It All. That blood, that body, paid it all. For all that malice, for all that stuff we're to put off, it's all been paid for. Let's sing.
to him my own. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. to save my lips shall still repeat my lips shall still repeat my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead jesus Jesus paid it all. Amen. You may be seated briefly. Um, a couple of quick things to run by you. First of all, we were planning on starting our second hour activities on this day with Bible studies for kids and adults and things like that. Um, uh, Steve and I are, are thinking and praying about making some important changes to our Sunday morning schedule. Uh, and, uh, and we're still thinking that through. We think it's going to be good for Harbin's. But uh, we wanted to take some time to think and pray about it uh, before we made that decision. We're getting some um, uh, input and advice from our deacons on that as well. Uh, we'll tell you more about that in the next few days uh, if we move forward with that. I think it's going to be a positive change, but it, it's going to affect. I mean, we're still doing Bible studies and small groups and all those sorts of things, but, uh, but it'll affect those things as well in regards to when they actually happen. So uh, hang with us. I know some of you are ready to you know, start Bible studies and things like that, and I'm glad, and we will uh, launch those very soon, and we may even be in touch as early as this week with, a, with an email. So uh, hang with us on that. Um, also, uh, coming up uh, October, uh, Saturday, October 15th, I believe it's 15th, we're going to have a work day here. Uh, on the property. It's been a while since we've gotten folks together uh, to, uh, to do that and, uh, and 
take care of the property. There's a lot of things that need to be done. It's going to be an all-day work day, so if there's like times during the day that work better for you, you can just show up and hang out as long as you, as you want to and then, you know, take off. You don't have to be here the whole day unless you want to. Uh, if you've got kids, able-bodied kids that are um, able to work, uh, come and we'll put them to work, and we would certainly appreciate that. But various things need to be done. We need to organize the basement downstairs, clean the utility room. Once and for all, we need to deal with that White House over next door. Uh, there's just lots of cleaning and work that needs to be done over there, taking inventory on stuff, just a bunch of miscellaneous things, and uh, many hands make light work. So if you can join us for that, that's going to be that would be great. That's going to be on Saturday, the October 15th, and you can talk to Mark Pierce if you want to know more um, about that. So let me just go ahead and close us in prayer, and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for just the powerful message from your word, and your word is like that double-edged sword, Uh, and it can hurt when it pierces us, but it also is healing as well and restoring as well. And Father, we can't do any of those things perfectly that the word talked about today, whether it has to do with anger or honesty or stealing or how we talk with one another. Father, I I thank you that you sent your son to pay the price for those sins in all those areas that we have uh, committed. Thank you for the forgiveness that you have given us. And thank you now that after you've forgiven us, you've not just left us to wander around on our own and and kind of grope around and, and, and find our way through this life doing the best we can. You give us the resources by the power of the Spirit to actually begin to move that trajectory, as Steve was talking about, towards uh, uh, walking in a manner worthy of that to which we've been called and, and living lives of truthfulness and living lives of integrity and speaking words of grace, Father. Uh, continue to move us towards those things, God, so that we can properly image you to the world at large, so that there's not a contradiction between the gospel that we preach and the God that we proclaim and how we're living. Let those two things merge together and complement one another, Father. And let us not disgrace the message that we preach or bring confusion to the message by how we are walking in the world. Help us to glorify you with our words, with our deeds, with our thoughts, Father. Thank you for the help, and thank you for loving us. And thank you that you love us so much that you did not just leave us as we are, but that you're bringing us along to something better. And that's ultimately, ultimately to be exactly like Jesus. Thank you. As we disperse, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to honor you, and I pray that you would help us to um, be sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel and be sensitive to opportunities to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ with our words and how we love on them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and go in peace.